Acts 2, 1 through 41. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues uh, as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of uh, and rested on each one of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in, in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven, and at this sound, the multitude came together, and they were bewildered, because each one was hearing them speech in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear such as us in his own native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Crene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, and we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others mocking said, they are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, lift up his voice and addressed them, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give, your, and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my, my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man arrested to, uh, attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the uh, definite plan uh, uh, and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David said, says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope, for you will not abandon my, souls to, my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I say, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David, uh, that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God has sworn uh, with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, 
and of, of that we all are witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this, that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, uh, for, did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, "The Lord said to my Lord, "Sit at my right hand until I make your, your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard they, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And said to Peter and the rest of the disciples, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and, your chi- and for your children and for all who are far off. Everyone from the Lord, uh, everyone whom the Lord uh, our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received the word were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. Thanks, Silas. You know, I knew knew that was a long passage, but a lot of times I study just on my iPad, so I can just like scroll, and I'm like, yeah, it's kind of big, but as Silas was reading, I was like, that's that's a really big passage, so thanks, Silas, for for reading that for us. Um, All right, kids, where are you guys at this morning? All right, so today uh, I need a volunteer. Who Who can help me out? Who can come up here and help for me? Let's go, Eleanor. All right. All right. So today in our passage, we're talking about Peter being a witness. So the first thing I need you to do is I need you to hold on to this dollar. Okay. All right. And then what's going to happen is uh, all the grown-ups, me included, are going to close our eyes and you are going to do something with that dollar. You can hide it somewhere. You could eat it, but don't do that. (laughs) You could put it under your foot. You could stick it in my Bible. You can hide it wherever you want. Okay? Right, all the grown-ups, we ready? Right, we're going to close our eyes. And let me know when you're done. Okay, everybody open them. She's done. Okay, so let's see. Is it? It's not over here. It's not over here. Okay, where is it, everybody? Grown-ups, where'd you put it? Well, who can tell me where it is? Jaren, where is it? In the Bible? (gasps) Awesome. I found it. Wait, how did I find it, though? My eyes were closed. How did I know where it was? Because Jaren told me. How, How did he know? Because you were watching. You were an eyewitness. You saw what she did. Here, you can have that. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, thanks for your help, Eleanor. Thanks for your help, Jaren. Sorry, I only have one dollar. Uh, the reason why this is important is because sometimes, like we see this, like this big passage that Mr. Silas read for us, uh, Peter 
tells this story about who Jesus is and what he's done. And he uses a whole lot of words to do it. And sometimes that seems like a really complicated thing for us to do. But really what Peter is doing is he's doing the same thing that Jaron just did. He, he saw Jesus. He saw what he did. He saw who he was. He saw the things that happened to him. He saw the things that God did through Jesus. And so Peter is just telling other people about the things that he saw with his eyes. In a similar way, that, that's one of the things we're called to do as Jesus' witnesses, is when we see Jesus working in our midst, among people, in ourselves, in our families, we can tell other people about the things that Jesus is doing, about the things that God is doing uh, in our lives. We can be his witnesses in the same way that Peter is. We don't have to make it very complicated. We can just talk about the things that we see and hear happening. And so kids, go home today. Ask your parents more about what they learned uh, from God in this passage today. Parents, go home and and talk to your kids about how you all together can be better witnesses uh, of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. Uh, So let's let's pray together, and then we'll jump into Acts chapter 2 this morning. Jesus, we thank you that you sent your spirit to inspire Luke to to write down, to to record the story of you sending your spirit to your people. We pray that you would just meet with us as we we walk through this this long passage together, as we see the spirit fall and we see Peter uh, preach the good news of who you are and what you've done and, and people respond, that you would use your spirit to encourage us and challenge us to, to, to stir our affections for you and draw us deeper into relationship with you and, and, and closer to you as your people. We pray that you would use your word this morning not to, to burden us with a yoke that's heavy to bear, but to remind us of the grace that we've been given of the relationship that we have been invited into and that we would leave here with renewed strength, not in ourselves, but because we have been with you. Jesus, we thank you for your sacrifice and it's in your name we pray. Amen. So in this big chunk of Acts, there are, there's two things happening. The first thing is the Spirit falls at Pentecost, and then the second thing is, is Peter's response to that, his, his kind of this long sermon that he gives after the Spirit falls. And so the first thing Luke tells us in this passage is that all of this happened when the day of Pentecost arrived. And so Pentecost is the New Testament name for the Feast of Weeks. The Feast of Weeks as you might have guessed, lasts one day. So why is it called the Feast of Weeks if it's only for one day? On one day where they, they celebrated the wheat harvest as God providing them with food. And the reason why it was called the Feast of Weeks is because it was a, a seven full weeks after the, the previous feast, which was the Feast of First Fruits, kind of the beginning of uh, the, 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 the harvesting season. And so it's called the Feast of Weeks. It's also called Pentecost because it was 50 days after Passover. And so they're gathered together 
on uh, Pentecost, and later we're going to see there's, there's lots of other people in town in Jerusalem. So this is pretty similar to like uh, a folk life or National Tom Sawyer days when there's a lot of people that are in Hannibal from out of town because they're celebrating a festival. So there would have been lots of people in Jerusalem, which is why later there's all those funny names that Silas read for us. So they're celebrating Pentecost. They're all together. It's all 120 people that we encountered last week that were waiting and praying for the Spirit. And so Luke says they're all together, and as they're together, something happens. But first, let's remind ourselves what they've been doing when they've been gathering together in this upper room. Last week, he told us, uh, all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer. They were praying, asking God to send the promise of his spirit. Jesus told them to go, to to stay in Jerusalem, to not leave, to wait for the spirit to fall because it was going to come many, not many days from now. And so they're gathered together. They're praying for the spirit to fall. And that's what happens in this passage. Luke says, suddenly uh, a noise, like like a mighty rushing wind, it filled the entire house. So this wasn't just like any old noise. It wasn't noise from outside. Something kind of palpable took place and affected the people that are in this room. Uh, He says that they didn't just hear stuff. They also saw things. What they saw changed. Divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So we'll talk about the other tongues in a minute. But first, let's talk about them being filled with the Spirit. The reason why this is important is because it kind of helps to, to theologically clarify some stuff for us. Because sometimes... When, when people talk about the Holy Spirit, they'll use phrases like filled with the Spirit. Sometimes they'll talk about the Spirit kind of coming upon us. Sometimes they'll talk about being baptized with the Holy Spirit. And some groups of Christians want to put some, some distance between those things. Like maybe uh, being baptized with the Holy Spirit is something that only happens for like particular super Christians. But what we see in Acts 1 and 2 helps us kind of work through these together. And so uh, I've got a slide that has like, I think, three passages on it, Ben, together. So in Acts 1-5, Jesus told the disciples what was going to happen. This is what he said. He said, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Acts 1-8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And then in Luke 2, verse 4, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. In Acts 2, Luke is presenting the fulfillment of what Jesus said would happen. So Jesus said the apostles, he said the disciples, they would be baptized with the Holy Spirit. They would receive power when the Holy Spirit came upon them. And now he says they are filled with the Holy Spirit. So all of these things are talking about the same thing, right? There's not some special baptism that comes later. When we uh, trust in Jesus after Pentecost, we receive the Holy Spirit. We're filled with the Holy Spirit. We're, We're baptized, if you want to use that language, in the Holy Spirit. Later in the New Testament, the word fill gets used a little differently. Sometimes being filled with the Spirit is talking about this kind of initial filling at conversion where we are indwelled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, Sometimes it's different. Like in Acts 13, 9, Luke says, But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him. And then he's going to start talking. 
Uh, in this particular situation, a particular person, Paul, is particularly empowered by the Spirit to do something. So Paul, as a believer, already has the Spirit, but in that moment, the Spirit fills him kind of with renewed vigor, with renewed strength, with renewed passion to preach the gospel and uh, go forward as a witness. Filling is also just kind of some, some continual thing that happens throughout the Christian life. So in Ephesians 5, 18, Paul says this, Don't get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Instead of being consumed and controlled by some substance, we should be consumed and controlled by the Holy Spirit. And so uh, as we go through Acts, we're going to see that happen in different ways as people are filled with the Holy Spirit kind of initially and then at moments and places. Uh, and likely what will probably happen is as we go through Acts, we'll get to enough of these questions and kind of issues around the Holy Spirit that we'll step back from Acts and kind of talk through uh, theologically kind of what the Spirit is, maybe through a couple sermons uh, in a few months. But for now, know that filling and baptism are the, are the same thing and that sometimes filling is like the initial indwelling and sometimes it's kind of a particular empowerment for ministry. So at conversion, we're filled with the Spirit. We can also be filled continually. Uh, and sometimes on the course of us being on mission in Jesus, we can get kind of a special empowerment to do a specific thing. Back in Acts 2, they're filled with the Holy Spirit. They're, they're baptized with the Holy Spirit. They're empowered by the Spirit and they begin to speak. Luke says they begin to speak in tongues. And normally when we talk about speaking in tongues people get a little uncomfortable, right? Because that, 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 that freaks us out a little bit. But it's helpful in Acts 2 to kind of pay attention to what's happening. Uh, specifically, Luke is describing them speaking in other known languages, right? In the passage that Silas read, we get to a place where they are being understood by other people who speak different languages. And so here, when they're filled with the Holy Spirit, they begin speaking in tongues. They begin speaking in another language, and other people that have another language understand them in that language. Other places in the New Testament, like in 1 Corinthians 13, Paul talks about uh, the tongues of angels and the tongues of men. And so it seems like there is maybe another way to speak in tongues. But here in Acts 2, it's specific languages that people are able to understand. So they're empowered by the Spirit. But, but I think more important than that kind of like debated, controversial topic is for us to see what's happening in Acts 2 when we think about kind of God's history of redemption of his people. And so if we go all the way back to Genesis, God creates Adam and Eve. He gives them commands. He gives them a role in his creation. He invites them into relationship with himself. They speak the same language. They can talk to one another. Uh, they can talk to other people as they have kids. Their kids don't speak a different language. Their kids speak the same language. And then they, you know, God's people continue to grow and multiply. Sin uh, continues to grow and multiply in the world. Then we get to the flood. Uh, God saves Noah and his family. And you think maybe sin is going to kind of not be that big of a deal, but it gets worse and worse and worse until we get to Genesis chapter 11. That's the Tower of Babel. All the people are gathered together. God said, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth. Subdue it. Spread out. But instead, they're gathered together. They're saying, we're going to make a name for ourselves. They're using the unity they have to rebel against God. And so God comes down and confuses their language. He forces them to scatter because no longer do they all use the same words. He creates some division. 
And if we fast forward all the way to the end of the story in Revelation 5, we see people from all different tribes and languages and people groups and tongues gathered around the throne worshiping Jesus. They worship in different languages, but everyone is together. The diversity is there, but it's with unity. Acts 2 gives us a glimpse of what that's going to be like, right? To where this division created by different languages is is, uh, overcome by the power of God's spirit so that the gospel can go forth and these people who speak different languages can hear the message of good news in their own languages. So at Pentecost... There's all these people gathered together. God's spirit falls. He empowers his people to speak in tongues. And this this noise of this kind of spreads out across the city. And these other people hear what's happening, right? If you heard, like if all of a sudden the people in this section over here just started speaking in all different languages, the rest of us would be like, What's happening over there? What's, what's going on? And that's exactly what happens. The people are confused. The people are perplexed because they're hearing other people speak in their own language. And this isn't, this isn't Greek or Aramaic, which most of these people would have had in common. They hear them in their, in their own languages. And I think that's really important for us to see because it tells us something about who God is and how he works. Right? He doesn't require all of these people to learn the language of the disciples to hear the gospel. He doesn't require them to change who they are to be in a place to where they can hear the good news message. He transforms his people so that they can communicate the truth of the gospel to these people in their heart languages. He meets them where they are with the good news by the power of his spirit. And so they are confused. They're amazed. Some of them say, what does this mean? Other of them say, these people are all drunk. Some of them are curious and some of them are judgmental. So Peter stands up and he's going to address their concerns. The first thing he does is he kind of dismisses the judgmental people. And he says, it's only 9 a.m. Right? And he's not just saying like people don't drink early in the day. Uh, In this culture, it would have been really odd to eat this early, let alone drink this early. So he's saying that that, that can't possibly be what's happening. Instead, he says, they say, what does this mean? And he responds, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. So he's saying what's happening, what they're seeing, this thing that that has kind of confused them. And they're, they're hearing these words. Everything that's happening is in fulfillment to what the prophet Joel says. So in Joel's day... The kind of context for this passage that Peter quotes, there was this plague of locusts that kind of took out all the crops. But then God's people repented, and God said instead he's going to send uh, kind of an abundant provision of food. So he's kind of overturning this curse that happened. He's providing abundance for his people. And he says later, at some later time, God in a much greater way is going to provide for his people by pouring out his spirit upon them. So he quotes this huge passage talking about that day, talking about those events. And there's three things we need to see in this passage from Joel that God, or that that Peter quotes. So the first, right, is that this is fulfilled at Pentecost. 
right? He says, I'm going to pour out my spirit on my people. In Acts 2, we see God pouring out his spirit on his people. This prophecy is fulfilled at Pentecost. The second thing is that the the quote starts with the phrase, in the last days. In the last days, these things will happen. And those things that are going to happen, happened or started happening at Pentecost. The reason why we need to know this is because when people talk about the last days, right, it's often really sensational. Like, oh, the last days are coming. You know, if we can just figure out all these, all these signs, all these crazy things are happening out in the world. So they're they're coming. We need to get ready. We need to get prepared for the last days because they're going to come. But we're in the last days, right? We don't need to figure out when they're going to happen. They started at Pentecost. And so we don't need to, you know, be overly concerned or overly hyped up about people that want to sensationalize kind of the things the Bible says about the last days. These are the last days. The gospel is going forth through God's people uh, until it spreads across the face of the earth so that Jesus comes back, right? We're, We're there. His spirit has fallen. The third thing that we need to see about this passage that Peter quotes is that he doesn't just promise that God will pour out his spirit. He also promises that God will save, right? It shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, right? He doesn't just promise to pour out grace on his people. He doesn't just promise to pour out his spirit on his people. He promises to save everyone that calls upon his name. The spirit is a gift that's available for anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord, And Peter unpacks this by starting to talk about Jesus in verse 22. Right, he says, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know. So he's reminding them, these are events that they are aware of. Some of them would have seen Jesus do miraculous things. Most of them would have heard about the miraculous things that Jesus did. At the end of Luke, when we encountered Jesus with those two disciples on the road to Emmaus, they respond to him with like, how how could you not possibly know about the things that have happened in Jerusalem? Everybody knew. And so as Peter begins to preach to them about Jesus, he's not just saying that he's a witness of what happened, but the people that are hearing him were witnesses too of Jesus' mighty works. And then he begins to quote uh, the Psalms about the things that Jesus did to unpack them. But first, he says, Jesus was uh, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, and that you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. So there's kind of two points he makes here. The first is he makes the point that the people that he's talking to are, are complicit. They are partially responsible for what happened to Jesus. They were there. They were participants. They were, there were the crowds, the Jewish religious leaders, the people in the city called for Jesus to be executed. So that's kind of one side of the coin. The other side of the coin is that it wasn't an accident. It wasn't happenstance. It didn't catch God off guard. It was part of the plan. He's saying that Jesus was crucified, not just because people did it, but because God orchestrated history to cause it to happen so that his plan of redemption could proceed, so that he could save his people, so that he could pour out the Spirit, so that everyone who called upon the name of the Lord could be saved. He sent Jesus. He says, this one that they crucified... God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. 
This is, this is incredible imagery from Peter here. The, the word picture he gives is uh, as if death is a pregnant woman and, and pregnant with Jesus in the grave. And death wants to fight it. Death wants to hold on to him. But the point is that Jesus' resurrection was inevitable. No matter how much death tried to hold on to Jesus, he was always rising. Like it wasn't going to be stopped. Even though he died, his resurrection was coming. And he explains this by talking, to what, we're talking about what David says in the Psalms. He quotes this passage from David where David talks about how God won't abandon him. And specifically... In verse 27, he says, For you, this is David, you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. And then Peter explains this in verse 29. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Like, you can, you can go see it. We all, everybody knows that David wrote the psalm and everybody knows that David died and was buried. And so P Peter's point is that that can't apply to Peter. It was a prophecy about what the Messiah would do. It's, it's something talking about Jesus, that God wouldn't abandon him. God wouldn't let him see corruption. He was always going to rise from the dead. He goes further. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we all are witnesses, 120 people and some others. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this answering their question, that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David himself did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Right? The Psalms didn't say that David was going to not die. The Psalms didn't say that David was not going to see corruption. The Psalms didn't say that David was going to ascend to the right hand of the Father. Those were about the Messiah. Those were about Jesus. Peter's teaching Jews from all over the place what the Old Testament said about Jesus who has come and died and rose again and is now pouring out the spirit that they're seeing witness of. Luke says, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, what shall we do? They're convicted. They're, they're, they're uh, they feel the weight of their sin and they want to respond and they ask Peter how they should respond and Peter says, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord calls to himself. So they want to know how to respond. Peter calls them to repent and be baptized. Repentance here is a turning away from their sin and turning toward Jesus in faith. They move forward in faith by being baptized. And Peter says that this promise, it's not just for them. It's for them. It's for their children. It's for those closest to them. And it's for those who are far off. It's for everyone they know. He says those who God calls to himself will be saved. Or everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Peter calls them to repent and to turn to Jesus in faith. And Luke says, So those who received his word were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. 
So the first thing we need to see about this is that Peter's message is still valid today. Right? The Old Testament said that God would send a redeemer to save his people, said that God would pour out his spirit, said that everyone who called upon the name of the Lord would be saved. And God has done that by sending Jesus. He died in our place for our sins. He rose again, announcing his victory over sin, death, and Satan because death couldn't hold on to him. Right? Because of him, if we turn from our sins and put our faith in him, we can be saved. That's a promise for you. And so if you're somebody that's that's here today that hasn't done that, that doesn't know what that means, I would encourage you to talk to somebody about it before you leave today. Because this is how we become saved. It's not us doing the work. It's not us in our own power. It's us trusting what Christ has done for us. That's what Peter is talking about. That's what Peter is calling people to. He's calling them to turn away from trying to do things on their own and turn toward Jesus. I think for the rest of us, uh, when we see Peter like, preach the gospel and 3,000 people get saved, right? this is where the church gets born. God's people pray. His his spirit falls. The gospel goes out. People respond. His spirit falls. They come into the church. We're going to see this cycle repeated all throughout Acts. But we see this and we think we want success like Peter's. Not like I preach the gospel and 3,000 people get saved. That's kind of like egomaniacal. But, but maybe a few we, we want there to be success when we share the gospel. We want there to be success when we're witnesses to who Jesus is and what he's done. But here's the thing. Jesus doesn't call us to success. He calls us to faithfulness. He calls us to himself. Right? We're called to be in relationship with him, following him on his mission. We're called to be empowered by him to be his witnesses. We don't get to determine the results, right? The success, how people respond to the message, that's not in our power. We don't have the capability to to affect that. We're called to be faithful to him. And the reality is, is that success isn't the goal for us. People being saved isn't the goal for us. Jesus's mission is to save people. Your mission and my mission is to be with Jesus. Sometimes that means we're going to be with him on mission, sharing the gospel with someone who hasn't heard it. Sometimes it means we're going to be gathered together on Sunday morning, praising him for who he is and what he's done. Our responsibility, our role is to be with him where he is. And the reality is, is that the The story of grace in this passage is not with these 3,000 people that get saved. Although that's awesome. The the most amazingly gracious thing about this passage is Peter. Peter who always gets it wrong. Peter who denies Jesus three times on the night of his arrest after Jesus told him he would do it. Peter, who Jesus called Satan one time. Peter, who who failed again and again and again. Peter, when God's spirit enters him, he becomes a bold,
bold and courageous and right witness to who Jesus is and what he's done. And the reason why that is, is because every single time he failed, every single time he messed up, no matter how big or small the failure was, no matter how great the mess up was, Jesus was always there. He was always kind and always loving and always gracious and always welcoming Peter back into his presence and back into relationship with him. And that's true for us too. Whether we get it right or whether we get it wrong, whether we're big successes or big failures, Jesus is always there. He's always beckoning us into his presence, into deeper and closer and, and more robust relationship with him. And so for us in this passage, we should not see a a call to preach the gospel. We should not see a call to surrender to God's spirit, like do those things. But this passage should remind us of what Jesus does when we fail and continue to go back to him. This passage should remind us of who our Savior is. Because the reality is 3,000 people didn't respond to this message because it was so logical and crafted because Peter quoted the right Old Testament passages. Peter resp- people responded to this message because everyone, all of us, need and want a Savior like this. Because Peter knew Jesus in his failures and finally in Acts 2 in his successes. And that's what our story should be. So let's pray together this morning. Jesus, we thank you that you are always kind and always loving and always merciful and always gracious and that no matter how often or how many times or how catastrophically we fail and fall short but you are there to pour out grace upon grace upon us so we pray that you would make us people who aren't focused on or concerned with success, except for successfully returning to you, successfully being in relationship with you. But even now, regardless of of what we walked in here with or what happens to us later today or what what occurs in our lives this week, that by your spirit, which you so graciously pour out on us as your people, that you would draw us closer and deeper and nearer to you. Jesus, we thank you that you are a God. You are a savior. You are a king who when we remember who you are, We want to be with you. 
And so remind us of that through your word, through the rest of this service this morning. It's in your name we pray. Amen.